Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. East Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama drama that are centered on Ambridge in the heart of the Midlands. I'm the big bottomed brown who goes by the name of Roy Field. Alongside, we have Edinburgh's top McMuffin, who is Rosie Porcy. And clutching his action dolls while supplying his ab stimulator, we have Quentin Rayner. And as ever, it remains a bloody mystery as to why you, our lovely listeners, even step up to take part in this nonsense. Uh, this week's Dumpty Dum is from uh, me. I decided to get on my wheels of steels, do a little bit of a DJ mix, uh, which means, folks, that we don't have any Dumpty Dums left. So please, 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 can you rally to the cause and send us in a Dumpty Dum toot sweet for next week? No excuses. On this week's episode, we hear from Claire, Sarah, Michi Moo, Pat, Dusty, Mia, Jane, and R with a spoon. Now, folks, if you've been on Twitter, if you've been on Facebook, uh, you will have seen that we've made some changes here at Dumpty Dum Towers. And that's all because I'm going to wave goodbye to the podcast soon myself. And we've kind of decided that we need to put in place a group of people who uh, can really 
steward the good ship Dum De Dum into fresh water. So we'd like to thank Kerry and Peter for their time on the podcast. Some of you uh, will know that uh, Peter and I met at uh, a bar in Oakland uh, in California about three, four years ago, and we became great mates over a beer. And it's been wonderful to be able to take our friendship not only from uh, George and Walt's bar, but into the whole world of Dum De Dum land. So we wish Peter all the best. And Kerry was always somebody who um, I knew has been acerbic, witty and uh, bloody awesome on the Twitter. So it was great to have her as part of the podcast for the last 10 months. Uh, but it's only right and proper that we give uh, time, space to our new uh, kind of Dum De Dum team, which will be shepherding you into the post Royfield era, which will be Quentin Rayner, the man with the, uh, I was going to say the silver tongue. Now, you're silver head though, aren't you? Oh, lots of silver. Lots of silver. Yeah, exactly. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but with the honeyed tones and our Rosie Porty and, um, and Philippa. They're going to be your Dum De Dum hosts solely from episode 400. I will be dropping in and out between now and then. I won't be uh, too far away and I will be still editing the shows. But I know some of you do know this, but I, I have new job opportunities that um, I need to explore. And also seven years of talking about Shula Hebden Lloyd is a long time. Right. You so um, I need to just sit down and just enjoy <laughs> the archers. Uh, without having to comment on it. And I'll, you're probably thinking about bloody time too. So yes, I will be walking off to pastures new. and But Quentin, Rosie and Philippa uh, will be um, keeping the good ship Dum De Dum going. So there you go. Those are all the changes in Dum De Dum land. Now it's time for Amber's week that was Ambridge. Hello Dum De Dum, I'm Amber. And on this week in Ambridge... News in. Skinny jeans are out. I refuse to acknowledge this, and you'll have to pry my All Saints leather skinnies from my cold, dead corpse. In a parent-child dynamic with enough resentment to give Tony and Peggy a run for their money, canny businesswoman Kate imparts her bounty of wisdom on the subject of mucky outdoor accommodation to Phoebe. In our long-form build of situations to push Phoebe even closer to Rex, Kate is ragging on him. Dull ideas from a dull guy. As if she isn't dating a man with the pizzazz of a moist tissue. No offence to Jacob, I find him extremely appealing. Not sure what that says about me. Alice and Chris start off parenthood right, with a healthy dose of private guilt and anger that they can push down into the recesses of their hearts for the sake of their child, and only bring out at the occasional family gathering in a moment of pure unbridled spite. And that was the week in Ambridge. Thank you for that, Amber. Now, bit of an interesting week, wouldn't you say, Rosie and Quentin? Let's not talk right now about Chris and Alice because the call winners get their teeth really and truly stuck into them. But totally heartwarming for me, reminds me of the early 90s. I just love when Susan and Clary get together. I think we're utterly spoilt when we have uh, Susan on mic because, boy, oh boy, can she act uh, our Charlotte Martin. Uh, she can do comic stuff. She can do a little bit of pathos. She's all around fantastic. So um, where do we start? Scale of one to ten, how 11 is Susan Carter? Well, for me, 
she uh, she saved she saved the week really because I was beginning to uh, despair with any more Chris and Alice. So I would give her eleven and a half. Actually, thank goodness for Susan and the fantastic acting of Charlotte Martin, and she had some really good scenes, didn't she? she we were spoilt for choice. Uh, the, the standout ones, of course were when she was being uh, given her riding lesson and we had that wonderful exchange between her and Shula where she let on that she thought Shula had a, a whopping backside or as our American cousins, and because you are in California at the moment, Royfield, they would, of course, refer to it as a tush, wouldn't they? But um, it was... Or a uh, butt. Or, or a butt, But that was... Yes. Yes. So we've had all, got all three there, tush, but and fanny, so that's good. Or whopping backside, as Susan prefers to call it. So that was the image of the week, I thought, and uh, was a scoop in itself. So that 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 was fun, and I love the way that you could picture them in that in those stables. That was the that's how good the acting was. They painted pictures by pauses, by just little sounds or reactions. It was really really good. So uh, uh, hats off to, to Charlotte Martin, and also you know it was good to hear Shula for once not being all wobbly and actually being assertive again. So I enjoyed that. And you said that you've had seven years of talking about Shula Royfield, uh, that we've only just begun, I tell you. And, of course, there was also that wonderful scene with, with Neil as well. That was lovely because you really saw them as a, as a genuine married couple and he was saying how much he liked her muffin top and <laughs> <laughs> black forest gatto and, oh, he's great. And, of course, the uh, peeling off the abs stimulator as well, simulator, stimulator as well. So that, that, was, that was fun. So she, top marks to, to, uh, to Charlotte Martin, and Susan and, and the scriptwriters. So, Rosie, we had some Paris Council action. How was it for you, my dear? It was like going through a rerun of the Jackie Weaver phenomena. So I'm not quite <laughs> sure how the scriptwriters have managed to do this, but they've managed to kind of bring forward and emulate exactly what was happening at Jackie Weaver's standout meeting, especially with Richard with his fetish for standing orders, which I thought was a bit of an indication about how potentially his marriage to Sabrina Thwaite was going, but I'm not sure. I just thought it was it was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> How did she make that connection? <laughs> what, he did was, <laughs> what he did was waggle a teaspoon, didn't he? He was, what was it? He was fetishizing the standing orders. And we all know how much fun Sabrina Thwaite can be. So that was just my sort of slightly innuendo led thinking process about Richard. But also just the dynamics with Emma and the, the, the mm, fear. Yeah of Hilary Noakes coming forward, coming out of her macrame circle and coming in as, as, as chair of the parish council. I just really hope that Emma will become the new chair of the parish council because she would be... Well, she's going to be, isn't she? Yeah. I hope so. That lovely moment when he said he, he wouldn't consider Jill because of his flapjack concerns. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's fantastic. And I, I love it when you have those unlikely alliances, those combinations in the arches that just work. You know, you, Jim and Emma, I think it's a lovely dynamic. And we've had, you know, in the past, Jim and Jazza, Lizzie and Vince, Tony and Joy, Linda and Freddie, Linda and Tracy, and my favourite, Tracy and Oliver. It's great when you have mm. that mix, characters you don't expect to get on, mm. getting on. It makes it much more of an interesting listen, I think. And again, respite from the grimness of Chris and Alice. 
And and that for me, Quentin, is the reason why I always thought that Tracy and Jazza as a romantic uh, thing was just a little lazy because it was so obvious. Because yeah. you think of those those relationships which utterly sparkle mm. and it's opposites. It's who you wouldn't put with, mm. with each other. And, you know, there's magic that kind of comes out of it. You know, wish Tracy and Jazz are all the best, but just a, as a pairing, it's just yeah. you know, I mean, slightly I, underwhelming that way. I, I tweeted in favour of Trazer, but when it happened, I wished it hadn't happened. So that's how I feel about it. There's a strong campaign still still pushing for it. I think people want mm. Jazzer to, to be happy and therefore they sort of, and I think anybody apart from Jade, a dustbin would be good in comparison to Jade. <laughs> uh, so I think there's a little bit about that there. Um, but, but I agree. I think you need a little bit of like friction, a little bit of grits in the oyster shell. And I think in terms mm. of the, the drama and, and the comedy, there's a lot more coming out of the, the Oliver and, and Tracy dynamic that would come out of mm. out of Trazer. So I'm afraid I no longer support the coupling that was Trazer and hope for the chatelaine of gay Grables to come forward as Miss Tracy Horobin. We we're we're decoupling from Trazer, aren't we? We are consciously oh, talk, uncou- talk, talking uncoupling. about <laughs> We're a bit late, aren't we though? <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about co- coupling, though, uh, though, Rosie, you seem to have the inside track on Sabrina Waite's marriage. So uh, is there any more insight you can throw at us? Because as a silent, I don't know how you've got this information uh, with, a, you know, a domestic goings on. But please tell us more. Well, she's got a quite active schnauzer, as I understand it. And the only kind of <laughs> challenge around some of my thought process on this is that I get her and Mandy Beesburg confused. I guess because Mandy, Randy, Mandy, I get her confused with Sabrina because they're both kind of out there girls having fun. And I think that potentially Sabrina's been a bit too flirtatious with Jim and Jazza in the shop because she's been helping out in the shop recently and putting Susan down. So I've heard from the gossip. Goodness. I don't even clock all this. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Smashing. But you know what? I'm never going to look at a schnauzer in the same way. Mm. <laughs> yes, yes, Quentin. But you know what, though? I tell you who has clocked things. It's our lovely, good listeners. So next bit's in red. If you would like to sing or play us a dumpty dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us or leave a message on SpeakPipe on dumptydum.com. On SpeakPipe on dumptydum.com. Hello, Ambridge 3962. First off, we go to Scotland, the country which is having political ruptures at the moment. And uh, just before we started recording, I can tell you, dear listener, that Rosie Porty has declared her allegiance for all things Alex Salmon. She will be voting Elba in the forthcoming council elections. She's proudly wearing her saltire underwear as we speak. And it's uh, Jane. Hello, dum dum from a rainy and windswept Glasgow. It's Jane. Looking forward very much to summer and better days ahead for everybody. Not a lot of drama going on in Ambridge this week. I usually can't be bothered with the whole kind of comedy routine element of the show because I'm more of a tragedy person myself. But I must admit, I thought the Clary and Susan scenes were quite jolly. Um, they did reinforce the strength of their friendship, which is a nice thing. 
Um, but I agree with anyone who's pointed out that the sacking of Clary by Kirsty was pretty unbelievable. And it would have been more realistic for Clary to have had a hissy fit about that. But instead, Kirsty just went along on her merry way. I loved the scene about Lee's action figure, though. He clearly hasn't enough to do if he can be bothered selling old Spidey figures that have been battered by life online for pennies, as he said. But last month, my 16-year-old son took a sudden notion to get his old Star Wars action figures down from the attic, and I took great delight in prancing around squeaking. Ooh, that's nice you're playing with your dollies. But it fits, since in my mind's eye, Lee is about 16 and Helen is a cradle snatcher. But have a good week, everyone. Thanks, Roy Field and the team. Bye for now. So it's lovely hearing from my fellow Caledonian sister, Jane. And I'm hoping that the, the wild and windy weather that we've both been having soon passes away and becomes lovely and sunny, like the referendum on independence, when we move forward into the future together with Europe. In terms of uh, Jane's call, I think it's really lovely hearing people's reactions to Lee's action dolls. There's been lots of coverage on this on Twitter in terms of people having a bit of a giggle about Lee playing with his dolls and how he's going to have to have his own separate bedroom for his action doll arena that he appears to have. And I completely agree with her in relation to to Susan and Clary. And what a breath of fresh air it's been having Susan and Clary together in the dairy, having a giggle, talking about being hoisted onto the back of a horse. That's what we really need as a little bit of light in what was a, a fairly dark week. I think you'd agree, Quentin. Yes. Well, there have been various images, aren't there, this week? We've had, uh, obviously, Shula's fat bottom, but we've had Lee, child man, with his pathetic array of dolls. Uh, there is no redeeming quality <laughs> about him, as far as I'm concerned. But we did get a classic uh, comedy moment, courtesy of Lee, when um, later we had Susan talking to Helen about how uncomfortable she was from the exercises that Lee had made her do. And she said that uh, some of the positions he got me doing, I'm a woman transformed. Another beautiful image, I thought. And even made Helen giggle and joke by saying, I'll have to have a stern word, which slightly elevated Lee's status in my mind for a f- nanosecond and then, then not again. Good to hear from Jane. I'm, I'm glad that uh, she was squealing and squeaking with delight that her son got her Star Wars dolls out again. But... Um, Interesting that she also says she prefers the tragic scenes to the to the comedy ones. She says she can't be bothered with the comedy ones. As I said, I thought the comedy ones salvaged this week big time and courtesy primarily from Susan. Sarah Spilsbury here, wishing everybody the best from uh, here in Smethwick. This week our theme appeared to be meetings from hell. Kicking off, we had Jim commenting on the calm and aplomb which Neil is able to bring to the parish council meetings. And Neil put this down to, and I quote, dealing with strong-minded sales all day. That's no way for him to be speaking about Susan. It seems um, as if Emma is likely to be chairing the council in the future, if only to prevent everyone else suffering Hilary Noakes showing up and talking about star signs because she's a Virgo and that's what they do. <laughs> that was a walk in the park <laughs> compared to Kate gate crashing the rewilding meeting, blithering on about which trees have the best energy field. Well, given what a woolly business concept rewilding is, 
Perhaps this was the most astute comment made in the whole conversation. Does anybody actually understand what rewilding is? And if so, could you please explain it to me? Yours confused, Sarah Spilsbury from Smethwick. Sure bit. Tarara bit, Sarah. Ah, oh, we love Sarah. I think, I mean, it was hilarious hearing Kate's back again. So Kate's been away for a while and she came back kind of like full guns blazing with her macrame led wigwam inspired tree energy, but actually kind of giving Phoebe a bit of a kick up the bum because I think Phoebe gives the impression of wandering through the elite, I don't know, the amazing fields of rewilding and effectively giving the impression that re rewilding just happens. And actually it doesn't. Rewilding is incredibly difficult, incredibly complicated. You have to go on training courses to do rewilding properly. And it costs a hell of a lot of money. So I'm not quite sure how Phoebes and Grumpy Rex, who I think needs St. John's Wort or Bromide or something, because Rex has turned into one of the two angry men of the week. We'll obviously come on to the other angry one later on. But I think it was just really funny hearing Kate again and kind of like, I, I like to call Kate's wigwam Kate, but she's a bit of a Marmite character. Some people just cannot stand Kate, Madacane. But, but Quentin, are you kind of a wigwam fan or not so much? I'm a Kate fan. I do enjoy Kate. She always stirs it up, doesn't she? She's always fun. But uh, the way she put down Rex... Rex, she said, dull ideas from a dull guy. I mean, ouch, that hurt, didn't it? So, yeah, Kate, uh, she's definitely Marmite, lover or hater. I'm, I'm, I'm a Kate fan. I think she's fun and she, anything to deflect from the dullness of, of Phoebe is, is to be encouraged. So, yeah, she's uh, all about tree houses, isn't she, and all that. And as for rewilding, I, I would just bow to Lillian Harry on Twitter who, who, who tweeted this. I'm wholly in favour of rewilding, but totally underwhelmed by it on the archers and dislike bossy, know-it-all Phoebe more every time she speaks. Apart from that, I'm pretty well on the fence. So yeah, Lillian's quite, <laughs> quite, quite right about this. And uh, speaking as a Virgo... Are you a Virgo? I'm a Virgo, yes, oh. yes. So, oh. um, yeah, that's a revelation, isn't it? I'm not bothered about it. I'm not really into star signs, although, of course, we are the best star sign. <laughs> Please. I say that. Because I'm an Aries. Are you? And we know the future, yes. Right. Can you tell us if we're going to get rid of rewilding? Because I'm sick to death of it, if you know the future. I actually think... In terms of the archers, they're not really giving rewilding a very good a very good service. They're not representing it properly. I think it needs to be turned over by a longhorn cow, I think, and then be done with it. I think you're all being somewhat beastly to, uh, number one, to Phoebe. I think <sighs> Phoebe, she's rather earnest. Oh, yes. she's boring. She's, uh, she's very earnest, but, you know, boring. if you... <laughs> Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> She doesn't necessarily excite when she comes on mic. I will give you that. But I have a certain amount of sympathy for her. You know, she's heading up this project. And how much was it? Half a million quid. It's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. And it's, to all intents and purposes, her first position. So, you know, for, from leaving university. So, yes, she's not relaxed. She's not chill about it. Everything is somewhat taught in her mind when it comes to this um, because she just doesn't have the life experience. So I think we should cut her a little bit of slack. Or the personality, I'd say. Uh, Rainer. <laughs> I, think, I, think she needs, I think she needs mentoring. So actually, I think if Kirsty got involved, 
And she had support from people who weren't, you know, effectively, you know, capitalists to their core, like Brian and Justin before him. It's not as though she has um, anybody from the, you know, the panel that actually gave them the money. There should have been a mentoring program to support her through this, because at the minute she effectively went from like capitalist, et cetera, et cetera, Justin to then granddad. And, you know, Mr. I like poisoning rivers. That's just my hobby, Brian. <laughs> so I think so she hasn't got the, the mentoring support. And for me, like, I, mean, I would love to see like a proper rewilding project with like otters and beavers and bringing back butterflies and doing it properly because there's lots of stuff happening in like in, in real life right now, all about sustainability, all about creating carbon sinks that I would love to hear about. And I think potentially because of COVID and other you know, constraints, they haven't been able to put together potentially a rounded programme. All, all they've managed to achieve is where to lay a sewage pipe. Well, that's not actually defined yet because Kate raised <laughs> exactly. some very good points about, <laughs> and it's really bizarre. So they haven't decided Kate on that started, yet either. <laughs> well, but so, so, so I mean, so I think what, what I would sort of say um, is that um, I'm a little bit more in the Royfield brand camp. I think that, that Phoebe, um, isn't sort of necessarily showing her best side at the moment because she's got a half a million pound budget and effectively her partner in she's she's lost one of her trio so Pip the Moni Boots has has done one she's got <laughs> midlife crisis Rex who's got fifty pigs and nowhere to go and, <laughs> you know, that's a good album that was a very good album by by Jay Z I can just <laughs> about it she's like 22 <laughs> she's got like half a million pounds and she's got this menopausal man holding her back oh my heart leads she needs Kirsty to come in and help her well everybody thinks that actually phoebe's got her eyes on rex that a lot of speculation about uh, a rex phoebe hookup oh well wow. actually just really really quickly i wouldn't recommend that phoebe went down the rex road because rex's ex-girlfriend has ended up in a very unfortunate position as part of line of duty and may end up behind bars anytime now. So I'm not sure that, <laughs> you know, the Rex Road is the right one for our Phoebe. So Rex's ex-girlfriend is now acting in line of duty? Yeah. She is. Mm -hmm. And she was having a romantic relationship with oh, a potentially her. corrupt cop. Oh, yes. her. her. Oh. DCI Joe. Yeah. But, but there is a line of duty, the Archers crossover right now. So she's not a vet over in Newmarket then? No. That, no, that was, no she's that, not. That was a ruse just to get Rex off of her tail. You know, she, <laughs> so she signed so up she, for the Met Police. So she's <laughs> anyway. Well, we've all been on those dates. Those exactly. dates that just go really badly wrong, you know. Mm. So whilst we ponder just exactly where Anisha is, uh, and what exactly was her career choice? Was she a vet or did you go into the Rosa business? Uh, we'll uh, listen to Michi Moo. Hello, Dumpty Dummers near and far. This is Michi Moo, also known as Small Smiley, um, calling in um, as a request from Royfield on the podcast on Saturday when Royfield was talking about his um, interesting and varied podcasting career, which was really interesting to listen to. So thank you for that. Um, he suggested that I did a caller in. This is my second time of calling in. I did call her in once before, so I won't go through my vintage because I have already done that. I am 
living in the northeast of England, as I said, I'm near to um, Mia or Armia and Jane, and um, I have met up with the Ambridge upon Tyne group in the days when people could get together inside social spaces such as the pub. Um, look forward to doing that again soon. Um, I'm a couple of weeks behind with my Archer's omnibusing, but um, the recent storyline is um, quite poignant to me. Um, my um, child um, is um, the result of a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder pregnancy. Um, won't go into all the details, but I'm sure that you can probably make your own assumptions. So the whole... Um, situation with Alice and Chris has um, been quite hard to listen to and equally um, from my experience there is not a lot of help it isn't particularly um, easy to get the assistance that a, a child and a young person might need and it's an ongoing uh, battle but anyway I look forward to seeing how it goes in the future and um, if if any issues come up it'll be good to hear anyway bye for now my time's running out nice to speak to you bye thank you so much Michi Moo for getting in contact and sharing your story with us and I think uh, I, I can say for, for all three of us that I think we really appreciate your honesty and your bravery coming onto the show to, to talk about it because it's such a an emotive topic. It's bringing up, I think, lots of, I think, challenges for people out there listening to the archers who are either touched by um, the alcoholism aspect of the story directly or have family members involved. And I think that it's so important that there is I think a, a you know some 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 more conversations about um, how the fast syndrome can be um, understood, uh, the support that's available um, in the the public sector. There was actually a a really good talk about this at the most recent Academic Archers Conference, and I'll dig out the particular references um, for Royfield to put in the show notes because there was a, a fantastic presentation about the kind of. The different kind of causal factors but also sort of the the different impacts throughout a child's life and it's it's a complex topic and again i think all i can really say is is is, is thank you for coming forward and, and sharing your story i did leave a post up on the dum dum facebook group asking for for parents of all vintages uh but specifically new parents uh to get in contact with me because uh what this what the Alice storyline has highlighted for me or reminded me of is uh, parenthood, really, and just my hopes, fears, wants, aspirations, dreams, whatever the expression was when I became a parent. And I know that lots of us uh, were able to to really empathise, if not with exactly what Alice was going through, but maybe with some of Chris's concerns. But ultimately, uh, being a new parent, is a joyous experience, but also it's a worry. You know, do we, we don't necessarily all feel uh, that we are equipped to shepherd this new life into into the world. And that's just an utterly human and normal reaction. So um, I have asked, and I've got so many people who said they'd like to be part of a very special show just to talk about parenthood. So uh, Michi Moo, we would love to have you 
as part of that. Um, I believe you're part of our Facebook group. Um, if you are, uh, drop me um, a direct message uh, with your mobile number and I'll make sure that when I get together our little round table, which will talk about parenthood and specifically what we will do is relate it to storylines within the archers uh, that you'll be a very valued uh, member of that episode. Well, I, I just want to endorse what you both said and, and thank you, Mishimu, for coming on and good to have you back a second time. And as Rosie said, uh, showing the courage to actually tell us about your real life experience. I mean, we come on here and chunter about this fictional village and have a good old, good old laugh and moan about it. But suddenly, you know, we're hauled up into real life. And you said when the two worlds coincide, it's very powerful. And uh, when he first said, you're two weeks behind, I slightly raised my eyebrows listening, thinking, oh, how could you be two weeks behind? And now, now we know because perhaps it's quite a tough listen for you. We completely understand. So great to hear your experiences um, um, from somebody who's been through it. And I, I'm, I'm sure we all sincerely hope that your child had no side effects because, of course, that is what is at the core of Chris and Alice's concerns at the moment. So um, great to hear from you, Mishimu, and um, big up the old Ambridge-upon-Tyne group as well. And uh, from Ambridge-upon-Tyne, we move further south to uh, Clapham in Bedfordshire. Hi, Dumpty Dum, it's Claire from Clapham here. Just wanted to reflect a little bit about Rex and Toby. <clears throat> when I first met Rex and Toby, like many people, I couldn't tell them apart, partly because they were often in the same scenes together and it was quite hard to differentiate them as individuals but then eventually after maybe about a year I managed to sort of get the hang of the fact that it was reliable Rex and terrible Toby and you got the feeling like Rex was the sensible sibling who'd spent his life you know cleaning up the messes of his unreliable brother you know Toby was the one who had mysterious ex-girlfriends in Brighton and harebrained schemes to make gin and all of that whereas Toby was the one who went and looked after their dad when he had a heart attack or something. And he had a sensible grown-up relationship with a sensible vet. And, you know, like you just felt like he was the adult in that relationship in a sense. Um, and then over time, in the last few months, it seems to have sort of turned around a bit. I'm not saying that Toby is brilliant, um, but he does seem to have made an effort to step up uh, and do some parenting with Rosie, or at least not much less parenting than Pip does. And um, Toby's become, so, so Toby's become a bit more reliable, whereas Rex has just become a bit of a stroppy teenager. Um, maybe he's, I, mean, I quite enjoyed his worm. When he, when he sort of faced up to, I think, Josh and, and David, I felt like, well, the worm has turned. People have taken advantage of him for a long time. And I felt like, oh, good for him. He's standing up for himself. But he has just become a bit of a whining, annoying person. Um, and that's not really the Rex I thought I got to know. So... I don't know what it will take to rehabilitate him. Um, it's a shame because I think Rex sort of had the makings of being the decent person. And recently he has not been his best self. So I wonder what's going to happen there. Anyway, keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. Bye. There's definitely a need for this St. John's Warts rollout program in Ambridge to sort of calm Rex down a bit because he has turned from being the, the reliable person that could you know you could you could share your troubles with you could trust him he would be there for you I mean he was there for Pip when she was going into labor he was there in the hospital because Toby was away on one of his random you know dodgy trips to Brighton with his fake you know girlfriend with the heroin addiction type thing and he was always the one that you sort of I think as a listener 
really warmed to and felt that he was the good brother and the in comparison to the kind of you know reckless feckless annoying toby who has sex on trampolines or whatever it was he got up to with kate and i think what, but what was interesting was when he finally stood up to somebody with david but then david respected him and they had a bit of a mano a mano moment and it kind of all came together so i think for me i think it's, it's a bit of a blip with rex where he feels as though he's has a you know he's got his 50 pigs to find a home for He's only got a couple of months to do it. He feels rejected and abandoned, um, obviously with his, you know, ex-girlfriend being a, you know, suspect in a murder inquiry elsewhere. That's quite challenging to manage emotionally. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a shame because I, I really like Rex and I wanted him to get that council farm and to, to move forward productively with his life. But hopefully the Ambridge Ferry will turn around and an investor will come out of the ether and create some kind of pig cornucopia idealized environment for Rex and his piggy wiggies. I, I used to like Rex. I, said, I, I think I still do. Talking, um, Claire said that she couldn't tell Rex and Toby apart initially. I, I always could. But I tell you what, I, I got Josh and Rex confused this week because when, I, when he appeared in that scene, with Phoebe on Tuesday, I started to write down, oh, Josh is speaking, and um, realised it was Rex. And we get a lot of this, don't we? Uh, lots of listeners say they can't tell the young'uns apart very well. Anyway, once I'd re-established that it was Rex, um, I, I was a bit... Is this the week where he's laid into that farmer for not lending him the land, for not giving him the land? It was just slightly... He was yeah, really had a charity. The hobby farmer. Yeah, you think, well, Rex, if you, if you deal with people like that, they're not going to give you land, and... They're all going to bad mouth you anyway, so you won't get any land. It was out of character, I thought. And as Claire said, he's become a bit of a stroppy teenager. You know, he's, he, he seems half committed now to rewilding. He's distracted, isn't he? Because he needs to find somewhere for his 50 piggies. Um, and she says he needs to be rehabilitated. How do we rehabilitate Rex? I think he's, he's, he's just, he's got to find somewhere for those pigs, hasn't he? And... Um, he's got to find a girl, isn't he? I think that'll cheer him up. No end. But will it be Phoebe? Dun, dun, dun. I I really hope not. That <laughs> <laughs> was a know. pregnant pause, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just to be dull on top of duller. However, I think, you know, I've somewhat tried to come to the defense of Phoebe. I understand the pressure that, that she that she's under. Uh, Rex, I kind of also have a certain sympathy for him in that he just feels overlooked generally. You know, the whole thing with him having to move out of Brookfield just highlighted him just feeling somewhat marginalized, not taken seriously. And he does have this unrequited uh, love for Pip, doesn't he? So he, he sees yeah. himself as just unlucky in life. That I is thought, a lot. I always thought they'd get together, actually, him, him and Pip. I did. Um, but as Rosie said, his finest moment was standing up to David and we were all cheering to the rafters. He was brilliant then. He really grew a pair. You know, he showed he had a backbone as well. So uh, a fully formed man there. I, I'm more with Rosie here. I, I think, you know, his petulance... Uh, was somewhat, I would say, childish vis-a-vis uh, -vis what, what he did, you know, sending out the, those social media oh, yeah. uh, missives. Yeah. And he was 
a bit spiteful what what he said to David. However, David took it as um, here is somebody whose business was potentially going to be wrecked because because of the move. So David calmed the situation down. I think David came out of that really quite well. Actually, actually you're right. Think about it again. Yeah, I I, I thought the same. I thought David handled it very well. You're Mm. right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, But I tell you what, though, right, David. No, less, less David. More Rex could do with uh, some uh, sessions on a couch. So here is our resident psychotherapist over there in the upper lower east west side. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. When I was listening to the anxiety and even panic in Alice's voice when the doctor told her and Chris that she and Martha were to be discharged, I was transported back to the time nearly three years ago when I was told that I would be discharged after a week's hospitalization for a heart attack and related complications and trying to bargain for an extra day in the hospital. Kudos to the scriptwriters and to Holly Chapman for giving us that moment. However, and I hate to keep beating on this drum, the doctor was otherwise incompetent in how he minimized Alice's alcohol abuse, her worries, and her risk for relapse and or other psychiatric complications. That made me very angry. And Chris is adrift at sea without any professional support, rejecting the helping hand from Alan. Perhaps it's because the medical establishment just sees a nice white middle-class couple when they look at Alice and Chris and have completely underestimated their true needs. Remember, as I mentioned on Facebook, Alice is someone who actually went through alcohol withdrawal and required detox while pregnant. That's some pretty serious business. It's also interesting to note that there have been very few scenes in which Alice and Chris are interacting with family members, even though there's been reference to it occurring. I think that's been an effective creative decision in emphasizing their isolation and secrecy about the problem. Anyway, on to happier news. Great Zoom togethers this past weekend and a happy Easter and Passover to all. Talk to you soon. Well, happy Passover to Witherspoon and Angus Haggis all the way over here in Blighty. Uh, I really I really agree with what Witherspoon was saying about the, the incompetence displayed by the doctor in relation to the, the level of fear that Alice was expressing, but also Chris's anger towards her and the, the palpable sense of frustration that Chris has. And that was then kind of emphasized again when they were together in the cottage on their own. And his he he has so much rage because he feels completely at sea in relation to what's happening. Um, he wasn't aware throughout their marriage of 10 years that Alice has had a problem. He feels guilty about that, but he also feels tremendous anger towards her for lying to him and also for potentially putting their their child at risk and the the words that he uses about Martha in terms of her being perfect only serve to amplify Alice's fear and shame and what I would love to hear from the archers is some signposting towards organizations that could really help people so for Chris that would be Al-Anon and the charity that helps partners and family members of people who suffer from the illness that is alcoholism 
And then AA for Alice. I mean, for me, I think it's a teeny bit unlikely that somebody with Alice's background wouldn't be able to have the resources to get onto a an AA Zoom meeting and get some support. So, and I, I, I really would love them to actually come forward with this because what I hear is a quite scary situation being amplified by Chris's lack of understanding and his refusal to seek help. And I do worry that without a sort of a structured support program for both of them, this could end quite badly. And again, I would just sort of, it's so important that people out there understand there is support and help available now. People can get help through AA and through Al-Anon. You, you speak with great authority about about these things, and you're quite right about the, the support that is out there, and, and, and both Chris and Alice desperately need it, don't they? You know, stepping back and looking at it as, as a piece of drama, I have to say that, you know, I really am beginning it's beginning to wear thin for me. It's, it's a grim, it's a grim old listen, um, mainly because they just wind each other up. I mean, t- to be fair to Chris, he's had to take a loss on the chin very quickly, hasn't he? Discovered his wife is an alcoholic who's been um, keeping it from him and then finds out that, that she's pregnant and then finds out the possible dangers to his child. And then he's dealing with her uh, excessive anxiety, uh, understandable anxiety, but it is excessive to to live with, and clearly the, the beginnings, if not, she's well into some postnatal depression as well. So, you know, he is trying, isn't he, to to listen, but then she'll she'll just push him and push him and push him and say, you know, some, you know, we I want you to not lie to me and all this. I want you to be honest with me and tell me everything. So then he snaps, so I can't ever get annoyed. I thought you wanted me to be honest. So you can see. The, the clash, the, the dynamics there are not going very well. And I think also there's a flaw in the plot. I think they need to seek support in the wider family because there is some deep experience there. Peggy knows already, uh, this has been mentioned by others online and in other areas as well, other platforms that, you know, they should be, Peggy should be talking to Jenny and Lillian, yeah, Peggy's husband, their father, Jack, a lot of experience about alcoholism. She'll have a lot of sympathetic ears there and a lot of potential help there. And I think it's beginning to feel very unrealistic that you've got two very, very strong grandmothers there. You don't seem interested in in their new granddaughter. It just doesn't ring true. And it it would ease the pressure enormously if they sought support, certainly within the family. And it would ease the pressure for us as listeners because – I'm not alone in, in in thinking this. I mean, I've noticed on our Facebook page, Ian Bullock says that uh, you know, the Alice baby plot is just annoying and difficult to listen to. She's been a pain for months and shows no signs of improving, especially with all that over-the-top panicking every time the baby cries. I can sort of understand that. Um, Gosh, Philip, that's so harsh. That that's is very so harsh. Un- that's, that's very so harsh. I think what people need to also remember is the shame that Alice feels. Yeah. So I I completely agree that she should turn around to her family and say, I have these worries and these are the reason why, because I've been hiding from you, my alcoholism. However, she feels great shame. So I understand the reason why the pair of them want to keep this hidden. 
It's not the correct thing to do, but I understand that as a human response. Chris feels ashamed that he didn't realise what was going on and he doesn't want to display to his wider family how much help they really do need because it displays weakness. You know, he wants to protect his newborn child and his wife. Should they get professional help? Yes. Should they ask for help from the wider family? Yes. But I understand uh, the very human response of saying, you know, especially somebody like Chris, I'm going to pull this together. I'm going to be try and be there for my wife, even though I'm angry with her. Shame plays such a large part of this. And that's the reason why so many, so many things are hidden. The scene where Chris was singing the lullaby was utterly moving very 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 small but so powerful and we and we you felt this father just wanting to protect his newborn daughter having just having just said don't listen to mummy that was a very poignant line wasn't it Mm. is that 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 boat does not bode well doesn't it? it it doesn't and they have massive hurdles to overcome all three members of that family but I, I, I disagree when, you know, you say in Quentin that, you know, it's wearing we're a bit thin. I think this is tremendous drama. You know, I get it from the two perspective angles. No, I've never had a problem with alcohol, but I, I understand Alice's anxiety. I can I understand it completely. Uh, every little whimper that baby m- makes, she's thinking, oh, my gosh, is this because I've, I've, I've been a terrible mother? No, but I suppose no. the point that was being made is, is it excessive you know she panics at everything everything if you think about being a new mother sorry Roy, well I, 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 actually- I, I, but i've been i've been through parenthood you know and it is a very both exciting and anxious time but she seems to just react over the top to any and everything and i think that's I think what's that's got- what's wearing thin for listeners it is some listeners. but she's got post-traumatic stress disorder she's know. been you know she she almost died by the side of the road and was rescued by a modern day slaver. She found out she was pregnant after that. She continued drinking throughout her pregnancy. She then went into premature labor and gave birth in the back of a Riley in a little car park. Maybe it wasn't little, maybe it was Waitrose. But she, you know, <laughs> she had she had the wonderful man that is Jazza McCreary. Yes. Bring her daughter into the world with Jim doing his amazing uh, direction outside. She has been through so much trauma in such a tiny amount of time. She hasn't been given the level of care that she really needs. And within her family dynamic, her grandmother told her husband to more or less take the baby and run. Her auntie is probably a functioning alcoholic. Her dad drinks too much. Kate would be down that wine cellar every three minutes. Debbie gets it. So for me, my kind of wish from all of this is that we can get Debbie engaged because Debbie recognized Alice was struggling when she left Bryce Bowman. And she needs that kind of at a distance level of love and support. She needs somebody. She needs somebody. She does. Yeah. Um, the, the, anyway, I'll stop banging my drum. Yeah. Sorry, no, but I, I mean, I, I, I don't mean—I don't mean to be mean, mean to come across as mean-spirited or, or, or cold-hearted. I don't. Um, I'm just looking at it as, as a piece of drama, and, and listening to it is becoming—it's becoming a very t- grim, tough listen, night after night. 
And I just wonder if it can be tempered somewhere, somehow. And I think we could move on a bit. One last thing I'll say about Alice is before she was pregnant, she displayed her social anxiety on her sleeve. Remember that all of her anxiousness around getting the job with Price Bauman, when she was in the position, it was constant anxiety, imposter syndrome. It was, you know, she has this within her anyway, let alone, let alone uh, bring a new child into the world. Anyway, Quentin, you did sound a bit mean, heartless and cruel, but I know it's uh, you only mean it specifically to do with this dramatic construct. Oh, I, I don't do. believe. Yes. Oh, okay. I don't believe that you you know you are a heartless soul. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm a very nice okay. chap. But okay. um, he's, now lovely. he's lovely. Yes. I, I just. I, I'm just. It's. It's just getting me down a bit. I suppose. Yeah. Okay. As a listener. All right. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. Let's hope that Pat will make your spirits soar. Hello, it's Pat from Leeds here. Um, I emailed last week because I was being a bit uh, cowardly, really. I'm finding the Chris and Alice thing quite upsetting and emotional. And I can't see it. it I think it's going to go on for a long, long time. And I know it's not real, but it, it is a very real situation that people face every day. So I think perhaps it's best to think about the sort of the more bizarre and lighthearted things going on in Ambridge. The most bizarre has to be the mystery plays which are a complete mystery. What is going on? Does anyone care? I don't. But I wish they'd just get on with it and finish it or something. Also, Susan has been an absolute star, I think, this last week. First of all, her scenes with Neil, and he's he was wonderful as well. And, and he was also good with Emma at the parish council meeting. So there's been a lot of light relief from the Chris and Alice. And I love the Susan and Neil's relationship. It's so true. And they're so at ease with each other. And also Susan and Shula. Well, I think the highlight of my week has been um, the touching the girth thing. Because do you remember a rather saucy series years ago on the telly, Tipping the Velvet? I have to say that immediately came into my mind. So I think of a week of wonderful arches innuendos, that topped the lot. Anyway, love to everyone. Uh, sorry to hear the news about Kerry and Peter. They'll be very much missed, but love to everyone that's uh, that's there today. Bye. I love Pat's. And even more when she's referencing tipping the velvet and touching the girth. <laughs> Any non-UK listeners, uh, I would I, I would Google tipping the velvet and have fun when when you watch some of the clips. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I kind of can. I didn't understand the girth thing, and then I kind of it took me a while to understand because it's. I mean, I've I've been on a horse once when I was on a, a yoga holiday in in Fuerteventura about six years ago and we did windsurfing and we did horse riding and we did yoga and pilates and i have to say i'm i would say vertically challenged being under five foot four and even if you have got one of those box things to kind of stand on is it called a mounting box not going back to tipping the bell a bit and then trying to get onto the horse is very undignified and then you're really, really high up. You're kind of double your height and it's terrifying. So I felt some sympathy um, <laughs> for Susan when, when, when Sula, Sula said, touch his ears. 
and then reach down and touch his girth. And it reminded me of Quentin's future career as being an audiobook narrator for Mills and Boone, actually. Now we move on to Dusty. Hello, it's Dusty Substances here, the wrong sort of listener. Um, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed the Zoom evening with the lovely Andy Hockley, a.k.a. Philip the Baddie. Um, he, he was just such a lovely chap and it was great to hear his um, experiences and adventures on the Archers. Uh, when he told us that he'd recorded his last scene and, and that was that, I surprised myself by being incredibly disappointed. Um, I famously um, found the long drawn out uh, wait for the, uh, the collar to be felt for Philip and Gavin uh, quite difficult and I was quite relieved when, when that was resolved. But I'm actually thinking that I really quite enjoyed hearing Philip in prison, uh, particularly when he called uh, Shula a sanctimonious cow. You you absolutely can't get enough of that sort of thing. So um, so I completely surprised myself. Um, more Philip, say I. Um, it would be very interesting. Anyway, I think that's probably it. Uh, love to everybody. Uh, be careful with the outdoor rule of six. Um, and uh, let's hope for some positive times to come. Anyway, love you all. Bye. I think we were all quite disappointed on Friday when we heard that we weren't going to hear from from Philip again. That was it my seems... scoop. That was my scoop. I got I got that out of him, didn't I? I was pleased. You with did. That. But and and Andy was a, a proper good sort because uh, mm, if you were if you were watching the Zoom, uh, you'll appreciate his Zoom background, which was uh, a prison cell. He he did his Zoom <laughs> at Her Majesty's pleasure. And he does want to come back on to to Dumpty Dum. So I think what we're going to have to do is try and shoehorn him into one of our regular shows, and he can uh, uh, give us the the inside scoop on um, you know the the various actors and uh, what he thinks of the current storylines. Now he's no longer part of Ambridge. Uh, last caller, it's Armia, and she's in Ambridge upon Tyne. Hi, Royfield and all Dumpty Dum peeps worldwide. This is Mia in Newcastle land calling. Well, I'm not actually in Newcastle at the moment. I'm down in Essex visiting my mum in the care home Whoops. for the first time in five and a half months. So that's really fantastic. Anyway, I did want to just call about Susan and uh, her coming over all unnecessary on Thursday. I thought she might have been wearing a pair of Spanx or something and felt her tummy being pulled in, or even worse, one of those underwear things that suck your tummy in t so tightly that you feel like you're going to pass out. I remember one of my best friends wearing a pair under her dress when her daughter got married. She nearly fainted by the time the best man gave his speech. Anyway, <laughs> it turns out it's an ab stimulator. An ab stimulator. What does Susan want with an abs stimulator? I mean, She's riding a horse, isn't she? Anyway, she said she's going to get rid of that and do it the long way. I am looking forward to Susan's Bulgarian squats. Anyway, that's all for me. Lovely to see you all and take care. Bye. Susan's Bulgarian squats. I what mean, an image. What an image. The mind, the mind is boggling, Mia. And it's so lovely to hear that your mum's had her vaccine. That is fantastic news and that you're able to see her. And also smashing your water aid target as well. 
because uh, Armia has been walking for water aid, which is which is fantastic. Um, I think, I mean, there has been just the, the comedy moment. I mean, like Susan's kind of, um, her kind of keeling over in the dairy and an ambulance almost being called. I mean, I had all sorts of images about what, what could have been going on, not suitable for broadcast. Uh, so I was quite relieved that she had a kind of malfunctioning TENS machine or wherever it was strapped to her tummy. And I'm afraid to say to, to Susan, and I think most women out there know that you're not gonna sort your core through an external device, but I'll leave it there. Naughty, naughty, naughty. Uh, that was a that was a funny scene, wasn't it? I, for, for a split second, I thought, "Oh my God, they're going to kill off Susan." I thought, "Is she having a heart attack or something? Is she going to collapse and never get up again?" So I did. I did have my own palpitations hearing that, and then of course, then she said, "I'm going to lift my top." And that was another. Oh my word! Steady on, Susan. And then we heard the the buzzing of the abs stimulator, which Carrie <laughs> thought was trap wind. So yeah, it was all it's all good fun, wasn't it? And um, Maybe, as Mia says, it's all down to the Bulgarian squats now. Put away, put that ab <laughs> stimulator down and get squatting Bulgarian style. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, those are caller in, folks. Um, I believe, Rosie P, uh, we don't have any emails, do we? There are no emails or emails this week. Good heavens. You lot, you are slacking, right? Uh, we do need electronic missives because uh, they add a little bit of texture. You know, you can maybe say something uh, in uh, in email, which you can't quite say uh, on, on a call. So why don't you next week, um, if you're a little bit shy about getting yourself on mic, send us in an email and uh, we'll get our Philippa to read it out. All right, so that's that. It's the first half of the show, just about done and dusted. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Uh, it's time for me to say it's social media roundup. Here's our soup. Hello lovely people, it's Sue here, Queen Altar on the Twitters. Time for another roundup from me. So let it never be said that Dumpty Tummers are short on opinions. Whatever gets posted gets commented on. Oh, and what a week. Anna Fry posted about Rex's tenant farm application and said many things, including that Borchester is a closed shop to outsiders. And I really agree with that. We still know nothing about the gills. Phoebe has turned into a harpy, thought Elizabeth, though she says that she's always been one and Victoria says she's a silver spoon socialist. Well, that's what you get from being an Aldridge Tucker Cross. I think any of us might be confused being raised under those circumstances. Anyway, Rex needs to get some training, according to Gillian, and apply for more grants and tenancies, grants like the wheel riding uh, tenancies to get himself a farm. Um and Gillian also thinks that he's useless the rewilding. So make that of you, Will. Talking of the gills, lots of us are worried about Jenny Darling and Brian. And there was a lot of speculation as to whether it's Victoria Gill in the big house now. Oh, could somebody come in and arrest her? Maybe they're running an illegal skip operation or they're drug dealing or whatever. Or maybe she is the slave master. Jenny Darling could have her kitchen back, although it wouldn't be her kitchen because the gills ripped it out, if you remember, and she could have her swimming pool. Jane wants that for her very much. Delith, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, says they're all fur coat and no drawers, and Joan reckons they've gone back to London for the duration, pretty much the reverse of being evacuated. Maybe we'll have them back at the end of COVID. I loved Friday night. And so did a lot of other people. And getting to hear from Andy Hockley, who was Philip Moss. What a brilliant hour we had. He was so charming and funny. You could kind of see why Philip would have married that Philip. It's a shame about the slavery. And now he's pleaded guilty. We won't get any more unless he turns up down the line in 20 years ago when he's actually been um, released. It was lovely to see so many Dumpty Dummers there. I especially like the Friday night Zooms, as many of us do. Following on from the Zoom, we had a poll for your most hated, although, as John pointed out, this violates Facebook policy. 
Rob predictably got 120 votes. Philip only 35. But there was a lovely trip down memory lane, which shows us the <laughs> what a load of villains live in Ambridge. Almost everyone has got a past involving some sort of dodgy activity. 39 people you could have voted for in the poll, which is a good half the cast. Um, although some of them were old, I still miss Nelson Gabriel and his dodgy antique dealing. Oh, talking back of Friday night, I have been reminded by myself of Denise Tomlinson, who wanted to know why we didn't talk about fairy lights. Uh, the, I, I completely want to know why too. Why is, was Philip obsessed with fairy lights? Witherspoon's snap this week was about riding or driving lessons and Nick Bacon told us all about his experiences, which led to him being a mounted park ranger in New York. Gillian told us about her daughter's instructor who was in a wheelchair and Anna told us about her driving test, which she took in the snow. Um, Louise, doing her driving test, couldn't even remember her own name. I think many of us will be able to relate to all of that. I suppose we should talk about Alice and Chris. Lots of people are really sick of them fighting, including Philip Charles. I think we're all concerned about Martha, though I would like to point out a really good blog post in Academic Archers on disability, mother blame and the archers by Woodbug on the Twitters, Dr Becky Wood, that had some really good insights and I strongly recommend it. Sonia says we need to get some, some counselling. Ian doesn't want to listen to them because it's got tedious. Ian, we hope it's going to get better for you. Things do ebb and flow. He also says that Susan isn't funny. Not even the wide beam joke. Sometimes she's the only relief we get. David says it never crosses his mind not to listen, no matter how tedious it is. And I think many of us will relate to that. And Joan says... You should have been listening to the bee at Ambridge because that was so much worse. <laughs> oh, how we endure. Anyway, we all seem to agree there's a long way to go and it will likely get much worse. There was a bit of a veggie rebellion this week as well, where the veggies united to say, well, really, we can eat whatever we like and meat is, you should stop talking about it. Um, and that leads me on to the podcast and much appreciation to Kerry and Peter from the Social Media Supremos. Um, we have very much enjoyed you both and thank you very much for your input. So I'll see you all next time. Cheers. Thank you for that, Sue. We need to know more info about the bees, though, Sue. I think uh, next time you're on mic, uh, why don't you uh, tell us how the hive's getting on? Quentin Rayner, it's time Hello. for Tweets of the Week. Yes, uh, we have three. In reverse order, of course, uh, we go uh, bronze, silver, and gold. And in bronze position this week, uh, one of my favourite tweeters is uh, Helen Wormsley, J, whose hashtag is at the vintage year. And she's collected her bronze with this one. She says, I lack the capacity to tolerate Alice at the moment. I'm officially heartless. So that's heartless Helen in uh, bronze. Bit, bit like you, Quentin. No. I'm talking. I'm talking drama. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Silver tweet is courtesy of Bob Hawkins, whose hashtag is at Salvatore Rosa. Wasn't he a famous actor? Who? Bob Hawkins. Bob Hoskins. You're thinking of? Hoskins. No. 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 The one from like the fifties. Okay. Anyway, listen. You go on with the tweet. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> Oh, right. Sorry. So, Bob, 
Bob, Hop, Bob Hawkins, who might be a famous actor from the 50s, has tweeted in with this for his silver medal. I'm agreeing with Kate twice. I'm reappraising my whole life. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> I can understand why he said that. <laughs> he was talking about cost-benefit analysis, yeah. but only because Debbie made Kate do a proper business plan for spiritual hummus right that's where all of that came from so it came from debbie and actually just a really quick a quick um diversion um debbie the amazing tamsin greek was on a podcast with the amazing val mcdermott recently and i was tweeting val mcdermott today about debbie from the archers and she replied how awesome is that so Val McDermott is your new best friend on Twitter. Totes. I honestly believe that having a, like, you know, three-second tweet exchange with somebody means that you're kind of best buddies for life, right? Absolutely. Are we doing the gold now, Rochefield, or are you still looking uh, uh, up Bob Hawkins? Uh, Bob Hawkins was an actor. He starred in the film Black Christmas in 1974. I knew I recognised the name. Anyway, that's purely uh, a, a di- digression on my part. I had a brain fart. It just reminded me of this uh, this B-movie actor. Anyway, right. uh, moving on. Let's have gold. <clears throat> it's a sort of double helping here, really, because it, it's prompted by... A tweet from Sam, whose hashtag is at damn scenes, and she says, Adam's been giving breastfeeding tips. I have questions, to which Dominic Young, hashtag at Budgie500, says, well, he is the biggest tit in Ambridge. Yay. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that's a... Yeah. Yeah. Nice one, Dominic. That Very good. tweet landed. Right, folks, um, it's time for us to uh, start to wrap things up, wind things up. Dumdum.com, go there, it's got some awesome stuff. You can join Tractor, which is our social network, which is just about getting primed for when Britain comes out of lockdown. Uh, So you can actually uh, make connections now with people that live just around the corner from you and say, oi, let's let's talk about the archers, let's talk about dum-de-dum, let's talk about life, love and the universe, let's talk about being parents, let's talk about being human beings, let's talk about being out again post the pandemic. And then when lockdown is lifted, you can go meet up, you can do that if you go onto dumdedum.com and sign up to Tractor. Other things you can do there also. Um, you can buy some buy some stuff, some merch. There's l- loads of things you can do on dumdedum.com. Uh, but we've been saying this for weeks. We need to thank our Patreons. And we've got over 100 of, of them who help to keep the good ship dumdedum afloat. They do that by going on to patreon.com and giving us two American dollars per show. So we're going to thank the following for the continuing support of dumdedum.com. Graham Haywood. Owen Kiffin. Sahani Crockett. Karen Bamford. Jackie. Andrew Connolly. Jennifer Coley. Deanna Dawkins. Eleanor Simpson. Kate Corby. Carla Reniki. Louise Brearley Ingham. Joanne Soul. Annie Beaumont. Lillian McCarthy. Richard Lucas. Mitchie Moo. Pat Brown. Linda Miller. Helen Mews. Dorothy Brown. Alex Kavanagh. Peter Stark. Elizabeth Morecambe. Michael Rowan. Elizabeth. Ragdoll. Paula Formby. Emily Shaw. Alison Smith. Simon J. Vickers. Ian Morrison. Melissa. Ryan McConnell. Mike Permain. Carolyn Cooper. Adam Rayner. Richard Latter. 
Nicola Maxfield. Christiane. Bonnie. Brian Holding. Susan Goffstein. Gary Richards. Ian. Caroline Pierce. Janie Brandt-Bezik. Marion Janin. Maddie Kiop. Carl Jonas Johansson. Carla Wiley. Helen Davies. Sophie England. Stephen Bowden. Jenny Newman. Paul Schluss. Julie Harvey. Gretchen L. Anthony. Emily Crow. Morris Snell. Ian Streeter. Anne John. Sue Lee. Liz Smythe. Robin Jones. Pak Chow. Stephanie Evans. Kirsten Foster. Audrianne Corubius. Mick Toza. Sally D. Caroline McKendrick. Sue Yin Jordan. Yvonne McKenzie. Trish Houghton-Jube. Nicola Hedlam. Catherine Chevalier. Mary Argent Catwaller. Missy Purple Pumpkin. Michelle Van Grove. Judith Phillips. Claire Newsam. Katrina Wilson. Sarah Bailey. Patricia R. Hanavan. Jacqueline Berteau. Pamela Stanworth. Anna Bradbury. Vicky Cole. Chris Acra. Melanie Matthews. Sally Wood. Denise Garou. Sarah Evans. Ed Price. Claire Asprey. Kate Pemberton. Steve McGowan. Martine. Alison Fahey. Simon Pilgrim. Bronwyn Wood. Anne Charles. Di Middleton. Silver Girl. Candida Beeching. David Martin. Sarah Amanda Hydes. Magic at Mungo's. Morgan Johnson. Barbara Wiseman. Scott Matthewman. Jan Mitchell. And Jennifer Reba. We'd like to thank you all again for your continued support of our podcast. And you can join them by going on to patreon.com. Remember, to get in contact, you can send us a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or leave a WhatsApp note to 07957 167 696, which is plus 44 7957 167696 if you're outside the UK. Now, of course, on Twitter, we have the Dumpty Dum team who are doing a great job and uh, they're pumping out the tweets. Do remember if you do join the tweet along or you put out a tweet about the Archers and use the hashtag the Archers, use a capital T and a capital A because it really helps those who are visually impaired to follow and enjoy the tweets. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Lucy V. Freeman. So there you go, folks. You've had a dum to dum this week. Uh, but to round up this week's episode, we're going to finish, instead of with a little bit of music, as is now traditional, we're going to have uh, a little bit of uh, spoken word. It's from Ben Norris, who plays Ben Archer, who's a good friend, of course, of dum de dum uh, it's a bit of a writer in his own right. Uh, he recently posted online a wonderful poem called Herd Immunity and he's given us permission to play it. And the link to the YouTube video is in the show notes of today's podcast. I give you Ben Norris, all round clever bod and herd immunity. One of the theories is that, you know, uh, perhaps you could sort of take it on the chin, take it all in one in one go and allow the disease, as it were, to, to move through the, the population. It started with the biggest killers, the great ailments of our age. Broken hearts, doorstep applause, 
chronic congenital bronchitis and the ironies of post-postmodernism. We hardened next against appeals to our better judgment and to our inaugural fears, then against our mothers and fathers and the consequences. We became very quickly immune to perennial public service announcements outlining rules designed to halt the spread of a new, old disease because we were immune to the disease and to rules. And then we were immune to words, all of them. We became immune to both truth and a desire to know it, and so naturally we stopped asking. It swept through the island population. We grew immune to hunger, especially the young, to season finales, extenuating circumstances, and, at last, to the everyman charms of Tom Hanks. Over time, we developed antibodies against our childlike sense of wonder, our adolescent sense of injustice, and our adult sense of guilt. We were finally free. But we were immune to freedom, of course, and to finality. We took it on the chin. Virologists and diplomats came from around the world to test our extraordinary new defences, hazmat suits and visitor passes swinging on branded lanyards. We were ourselves immune to the world by this point, and to curiosity. They observed us with sterile amazement, desperate to sequence our unflappable genetic codes, but they got too close, caught everything, and perished. We hold a twice-yearly memorial to their mass extinction, where we sing barren hymns, eat nothing, and wait. 